0: Second Peter three eighteen says this, but grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Grow in grace. Grow in grace. The question today is, are you growing in grace? Are you growing in grace? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for an opportunity to have a moment of stillness where we can saturate our minds and meditate on your word, on who you are. This world is seems like it's going crazy. And Father, we know that you are sovereign. You're in control. You love us. And you have a plan for our life. You want us to grow. Lord, I pray you'd help me as I preach. I pray that each person in here would glean something from the sermon. Father, if someone's listening, they've never yet trusted you as their Savior. They've never been saved by grace. Let them understand that truth today. Convict their heart. Convince them of their need for a savior. I pray that you would save them. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's interesting in 2 Peter chapter number three, if we take just a moment and back up, if we back up just a little bit, The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation or lifestyle and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now, we will go into that in more detail at a later time, but considering everything that's going on in the world, it seems like we're, we just had a pandemic for two years plus ish, kind of sort of coming out of it, maybe, hopefully, prayerfully, we're trusting the Lord, right? And then it's like, oh my goodness, now this thing with Russia and Ukraine. Now, at Sparrow Baptist Church, we don't try to get political. Politics, we try to leave outside, but world events, we can recognize. Guys, we need to understand that when we're looking at 2 Peter chapter number three, he's not talking about world events per se. He's talking about the end of the world, the very end, the day of the Lord, okay? Okay. There is a day when Jesus is coming back to receive those who are saved. We call that the rapture, okay? And then there's gonna be a thousand year reign of Christ. Now we'll get into details later. That's not the purpose of the sermon. I'm just trying to get and work my way towards verse number 18 here in just a moment, okay? We've got the thousand year reign of Christ and then all of a sudden we have, um, Jesus is gonna come back and it's all gonna be over. Now that's an oversimplification because for the sake of time. And he's talking about how the end of the world's going to come. There's going to be a new earth. There's going to be new heavens. It's all going to be brand new. Okay, now he's telling them, God wants us to know about this stuff. But he's telling the believers at the very end, after all of this stuff, he's saying, based off of what's going on in the world, based off of what the end of the world is going to be, what should you do about it? Verse number 18 says, but grow in grace. What's our job right now as believers in light of everything that's happening, in light of everything that has happened? Our job is to grow in grace. Isn't that easy? It's like, well, you know what? We don't have to figure it all out. We don't have to know everything that's going to happen. I know that my job as a believer is simply this, grow in grace, grow in grace. Now, we talked about grace last week in detail. What is grace? Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. If we just look at one verse that helps us understand that a little bit, go to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. God's riches at Christ's expense. It's undeserved favor. Okay? It means that God is giving me gifts. He's giving me blessings. He's giving me primarily the gift of salvation and all of the incredible blessings that come from the gift of salvation, okay? But it all comes not at my expense. It comes at his expense. That's what grace is. Grace is not giving me what I deserve because if I got what I deserved, I would have to suffer for my sins, and you would as well. But grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. So we can see in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we know that we are sinners. We know that we deserve to suffer for our own sins. We've done them, right? We did them and we deserve to suffer for them. But Jesus came to die for our sins. He literally took our place. He took, the, uh, he took the, um, the payment for our sin upon himself. He's saying, I will pay for it. I will pay for the sins of the whole world. And in order to get that incredible gift of salvation, God does not require that we follow a bunch of religious rules. He doesn't require that we get baptized. He doesn't require that we give money. He doesn't require that we give, that we change our religion. He doesn't require that we become a good person or try to be a better person. The opposite is fact is, is true, in fact. He doesn't require that we do something. He requires that we actually back off from doing something and humble ourselves and say, God... I can't do it. I can't do it at all. Not even a little bit. I'm not just a bit turned around in life. I am lost. I'm lost without you. I remember that moment. Do you remember that moment? When you decidedly remembered, I am lost. Instead of telling yourself why you're a good person, why God should accept you, why you should be forgiven, why you're going to heaven. You finally came to the realization, I am not saved. I have not been born again. I am lost. I grew up in church. I was a church kid, like my kiddos here. My dad wasn't a pastor, uh, but I grew up in church. And I remember hearing the gospel from a very young age, When I was a teenager, 16 years old, for about a year, maybe even a little bit longer than a year, I really struggled with whether or not I was saved. I had so many incredibly deep doubts about whether or not I was saved. And I kept on trying to figure it out. I I repeated the sinner's prayer. It had to have been a dozen times. Well, I I don't feel like I'm saved. I, I I don't know if I'm saved, but but just in case, I'm gonna just in case I'm gonna try to say this prayer again. It didn't work. Because a prayer didn't die for me. A person died for me. It's not a religion that died for me, it's a person that died for me. And it's a person that died for you. And after all of my efforts to try to figure things out on my own, I finally admitted deep in my heart, I am so confused, I am lost. And it hit me. I lost the Bible word for not being saved. I'm lost. And a few short moments after that was when The Lord spoke to me and I realized that I had been trusting myself. Most people cling on to the fact to a list of reasons why they're going to be okay. They cling on to these works. That is the opposite of grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. Through faith. And it's not from us, it's from Him. Lest any man should boast. Have you ever been born again? Have you ever trusted Christ as your Savior? When you trust Christ as your Savior, not in a religious sense, but in a very personal sense, you intellectually understand what the Bible says about salvation. But inside, you decide, I am giving my trust over to him to save me once and for all. At that moment, you are spiritually awakened. You Inside, you come to life spiritually. And it doesn't mean that everything in the Bible now all of a sudden makes sense. But now you are alive unto God and you're dead to sins. Isn't that an incredible moment? And from that moment, God wants you. You've, you've been saved by grace, but now he wants you to start growing in grace. If you think about, Jesus used this illustration as well. If you think about a seed that goes into the ground and it's hidden, right? And the seed begins to disintegrate. And in that death, that's when new life begins to come out. And that's a picture of salvation. When we hear God's word and what it says, it goes into our ears, into our minds, and we begin to think about it. We have to have that moment of death, not in a literal sense of I have to die, right? The Bible doesn't teach that. In the literal sense of I'm going to die to myself, I cannot save myself. And in that moment, when your mind accepts and from the deepest part of your heart, you accept, I can't do this, out of that, then that is the moment the Bible calls repentance. Repentance. It's when you the moment your mind changes and it's based off of what you've heard the word of God say about your condition. It's what God says about your lost condition. It's the moment that seed begins to de- disintegrate and die. But only if it dies first can then it begin to sprout that new life. So, so for the person who gets saved by grace, They hear the message from God's word that Jesus loves them. He died for their sin and they must turn to him for salvation. They have to have that moment of death inside of them. I can't do this. I am lost. That's repentance. But then the second thing, the second part is repentance and then trust. Repentance means death. And then where does salvation come from? Salvation comes from, I can't. Only he can. And I'm completely trusting in you to save me. He is the goodness that gets me into heaven. It's what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago, not what I'm currently doing today in my life. That's what it means to be born again. Isn't that good? What a blessing. Praise the Lord. That's what grace is. That's the moment when we begin to grow as a believer. First First, we have to be saved. Uh, by grace and then we begin to grow in grace grow in grace let's look at um i'd like to take us to a bible story today let's look at we're going to look at a bible story because if you if you are like me hearing a story really helps me to understand truth let's go to mark chapter number six we as human beings we love stories so much Truth is communicated through a story. Mark chapter 6 and verse 1. We're going to look at the way grace works. Okay? Are you growing in grace? And we're going to see Jesus come to his hometown. And we're going to see him give them an offer. And this is the way grace works in our life. I love this story. This is so good. Mark six and verse number one. And he went out from thence and came into his own country and his disciples follow him. Now picture the story here. Okay? If we were to take the time and, and go back to Mark chapter 5, which is probably my favorite chapter of the Bible, there are two incredible stories, actually three incredible stories in that chapter. One, Jesus heals a man who was possessed of demons. They call him the demoniac of Gadara. Right? The Gadarenes was the area that he lived in. Right? This man, was he, his behavior was unexplainable. He couldn't control himself. And in this story, it was because he was indwelt by demons, evil spirits. Jesus comes, delivers him. The Bible says he was sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Jesus radically changed this man's life. Then there's two other characters introduced in Mark chapter number five. One of them, his name is Jarius, okay, and he was a father whose daughter, 12-year-old daughter, was very, very sick. He comes to Jesus, falls at his feet. He says, Jesus, come and heal my daughter because she's about to die. Right? So Jesus starts coming to this man's house. On the way, in this crowd of people that are, co- are following Jesus, there comes this woman. The Bible says that had an issue of blood. And she comes behind him and touches the hem of his garment, the very bottom, right? Just the very bottom of his robe. And she touches him in faith. And she says, if I can just touch his garment, maybe I'll be healed. So she comes up behind him with all of these people, big crowd of people. And she touches his garment and immediately she was healed. Jesus stops and turns around and has a conversation with her. And says, who touched me? Because he knows the touch of faith. Guys, listen. He knows the tiniest little outstretched attempt of people to reach out to him. It's described, Jesus is described as someone who does not even, he does not even want to snuff out the tiniest spark of faith. So she reaches out and touches his garment. She's healed. But then Jesus says, who touched me? Because he wants to know Hey, can I say this? Jesus wants to know you personally. He knows who you are. He knows everything about you because he's God. But he wants you personally to have a relationship with him. He doesn't just want to solve your problems. He wants you to have a relationship with him. So he carries on this conversation with this woman. And it's a great conversation. And she leaves. Now I'm fast forwarding some details for the sake of time. As he's ending the conversation with this woman, a servant comes up to Jesus, one of the servants of Jairus, the father whose daughter was sick. The servant comes up, the household servant comes up and says, the daughter is dead. Don't trouble the master any further. Now, I love that verse. The Bible says, In chapter five, verse 35, while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? And then it says this, verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. Now Jesus, the point is, is that Jesus is talking to this man who just got the worst news he could possibly get. She's dead. It's over. And Jesus says, it's not over until I say it's over. All I need for you to do is just hang on. Just believe. Don't be afraid. You've got a choice here, Jarius. You've got a choice here either to go on in fear or go on in faith. But Jesus is personally standing there looking at him and immediately giving him that choice. So then Jarius decides basically, yeah, okay. It wasn't a huge decision, I mean, in the sense of there wasn't something dramatic that had to be done. Jesus is just looking for us in our lives to just to just, just enough to stay around, guys. He wants us to, to, to just have enough faith to stick around. He goes with Jarius into the house. Everybody starts to mourn as they do in that culture, loudly, crying. And he says, no, no, this girl's not dead. She's only sleeping. Their their mourning turned to laughter. They started laughing at Jesus and mocking him. But thankfully, Jairus still had faith. Do we see that? Jairus still has faith. So Jesus and Jairus and the mother and three of his disciples go into the room where the daughter is dead. And she's lying there on the bed, 12 years old. And the Bible says that he comes up to her and puts his hands on her, and raises her back to life. She comes back alive. She's alive now. She gets up. He says, give her something to eat, which is always a good indication. Right? If somebody's hungry, that means they're not sick. Or they're coming out of their sickness. Right? Praise the Lord for that. They're astonished. They can't believe. So Jesus has these three incredible miracles that just happen in this chapter that are detailed. And the reason why he did these miracles is because... When he presented himself to these people and told them of what he could do or they had heard of what he could do, they believed him. They had faith. Now we're going to see what Jesus is capable of on one side. But now he's coming into his hometown in Mark chapter number six. Now, guys, this is one of the saddest parts of the Bible. Because it says that he shows up with his disciples, verse one, verse two. When the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. Now, wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Now, remember, this is Jesus's hometown. This is where he grew up. These are the people that saw him grow up from a child. These are the ones that knew his brothers and his sisters. We'll see that in just a moment. They knew who Jesus was, or at least they thought they did. And many hearing him, were astonished, verse two, saying, from whence hath this man these things? What wisdom is this which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? He was the hometown carpenter. This is how they saw him. Now, again, he's the visiting teacher. He comes back to his hometown in the Jewish setting, in the synagogue where they meet every Sabbath, he has an opportunity to, to stand up and teach. So he begins to take the scrolls and he begins to teach. And they are, they are, he's not just reading it, he's teaching it. He's bringing out truths and insights to the scriptures. They're like, wow, where is this coming from? Verse three, is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? Now look at verse that the last part of verse number three. What does it say? What was their response? They were astonished, they couldn't believe it. And now they're giving the reasons. They're saying, Well, but but here's your brothers and sisters. And you used to be a carpenter. And instead, instead of him teaching, when they heard the teaching, Instead of it leading them to faith, it's led them to being offended. They were offended at him. Now that word offended means scandalous. It's as if you're trying to get us to believe something that's not true. You're trying to trick us. You're trying to get us to go from faith from from we know who you really are we grew up with you and we don't know where you're getting all this stuff from but we know that based off of what you're saying you're trying to get us to go from what we knew about you and lead us into more faith and they said no we are not going to receive new information in our life and we're not going to allow new information about Jesus to modify the old information we have about Jesus. And they had a choice there to either respond to him in one of two ways, faith or belief, faith or unbelief. Sorry, faith or unbelief is one of those two things. And they chose unbelief because they were offended at him. Now look at verse number four. But Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. Verse five. And he could there do no mighty work. there. Listen, it wasn't that Jesus couldn't do mighty works. He just couldn't do it there. He could do it in chapter 5 with Jairus because he was willing to respond to the message of Christ in humility and hang on even when doubts came. He he, he was willing to help out the lady with the issue of blood and he could do a mighty work in her life because she really didn't care about what the crowd thought. She's like, I'm going to get me some. I'm getting me some. Shy, timid, touched his garment and then tried to run off but had just enough faith. Man at the, 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 the demoniac of Gadara When he saw Jesus, he ran to him, talked to him, responded to him. But when he comes to his own hometown, they're like, nah, we're not buying it. I don't care what you did in chapter five. This is chapter six. Let me ask you guys something. Are you chapter five or chapter six? Personally. Are you personally chapter five or chapter six? Are we willing, I'm going to kill myself on this road. <laughs> are we willing, let me ask you guys here. He said he could there do no mighty works. What kind of church is Sparrow going to be? You know what? I think every once in a while a Sparrow, we can see a little bit of taste of what it could be. Last week was one of them. 27 people. Now, it's not about numbers. It's not about numbers because numbers really means it's about us. If, if it's all about the numbers, it's all about us. If it's about him, it's about the stories, it's about the individuals, it's about what he does in the individual lives of people. There are three stories in chapter 5. Are we chapter 5 or are we chapter 6? When we hear things about Jesus and what he can do and, and, and we hear truth and we come to Bible study. Now, this is a question. I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to beat anybody up here, but I, I would hate for. Listen, I would hate for us to get a judgment seat one day and Jesus say, man, I had so much more for you. But you responded You only responded to me within your comfort zone. Only with what you knew about me from your past because you grew up in church or because you were educated or because of what you heard about me from before or for what, you know, some previous pastor taught you, which is great. But in this particular case, they knew him from a child and they just could not come to the place. where they would believe on him. They just couldn't do it. He could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled, verse six, because of their unbelief. And he went round about the village's teaching. Pastor, what are you trying to say? This story is a picture of the way grace works. This story is a picture of the way God's grace works in our life. God comes into our life through circumstances. We hear things about God, hear things about Jesus. We come and hear a lesson or a sermon, or maybe we've taken quite a few of them in, and we are presented with an opportunity To take a step of growth. I'm going to grow in my trust towards Jesus. I'm going to grow in the way that I look at him. I'm going to grow and trust him with this next step in my life. Just like the way Jairus was presented through the circumstances of his daughter being sick. And he heard about Jesus. And so he came to Jesus just like the woman with the issue of blood had this situation in her life for a long time, guys. 12 years is a long time to deal with this situation. Culturally, she was outcast. She couldn't go worship at the temple. I mean, there's a lot of cultural implications for this particular medical issue that she had. But when she heard of Jesus, she came to Jesus and just said, you know what, I'm just gonna try this. I'm just gonna try it. Demon, the demoniac of Gadara is living this dark, hopeless life, living amongst the tombs, self harm. The Bible says he's cutting himself. They would try to bind him with chains and he'd break the chains. He had supernatural strength from the demons. Guys, listen there are sometimes we have problems in our lives that just don't have any rational explanation well, we only believe in the natural world. No, 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 look, we're not gonna see spooks behind every corner, but there is an evil dark force of nature out there and it's not of nature, it is Satan that is out there. And we hear about Jesus and what he can do in our lives and it's like, how do I get him to work in our life? How do we get Christ to work in our church? How do we get those incredible stories of individual victory? Do we want to have a life? Do we want to have a church where it's just, you know what? It's just the way that it's always been. It's just going to be what it's always been. It's just going to be like every other story I've ever seen or what I've ever heard. But when we hear God's truth, he says, I'm the God of the impossible. Well, God just can't do it in Toronto. Really? Because to me, the only thing that's limiting him when we look at Scripture is faith. Once again, I'm not talking about size. The goal of Christianity is not to make your church as big as possible, it's much richer than that. We're just talking about God doing amazing things in our individual lives. Are you growing in grace? with the need that you have in your life right now? Are you trying to figure it out by yourself? Or are you coming to Christ and saying, I'm gonna trust you with this. I wanna see what you wanna do with this. With the things that you're struggling with, are you growing in grace? When people respond to what Christ is doing in their life and they come to him by faith and they say, I'm gonna listen to you, I'm gonna let you lead me, That's when the supernatural kick gets in. That's when grace kicks in. That's when God says, okay, now I'm gonna take over. Grace is God taking over and doing things in your life that only he can do. You can't do that. Are you growing in grace? Are you chapter five or are you chapter six? Everybody bow your heads, please.